Let me introduce you to someone. His name is Paul Schneider. Paul was a pastor in the Confessing Church in Germany in the 1930s. The Confessing Church was a church that opposed Hitler and Nazism in, in Germany during those dark days leading up to World War II, the days of Hitler. It has been said that Paul Schneider was an obscure village pastor who could have escaped persecution completely had he simply been willing to keep his mouth shut. Paul Schneider was not willing. In 1934, Schneider and his family moved to a small town where having been demoted for his outspoken faith in Jesus and resistance to Hitler, he became the pastor to two small village congregations. But local Nazi officials summoned Schneider for interrogations 12 times during the winter of 35 and 36. He continued, in spite of that, to speak his mind and follow the dictates of his conscience. Some of his friends pleaded with him to avoid confrontation with the Nazis. But he responded that he didn't seek martyrdom, but that he had to follow his Lord. His primary responsibility, he said, was to prepare his family for eternal life, not to ensure their material well-being. Schneider said, confessing Jesus will carry a price. For his sake, we will come into much distress and danger, much shame and persecution. Happy the man who does not turn aside from these consequences. Soon after this, he was arrested and found himself as inmate number 2491 in the infamous concentration camp at Buchenwald. Lord, have mercy on us as we follow Christ in this way. For Daniel chapter 3 says that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. That's 90 feet by 9 feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So how far has King Nebuchadnezzar moved from the end of chapter 2 where he said this? The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. But now he crafts a 90-foot tall image made out of gold. And demands in no uncertain terms that everyone must bow down and worship the statue he has set up. So we don't know what this statue looked like or this image that he made. 
But it's interesting, if you remember back in chapter 2, he had a dream and Daniel interpreted it and there was a statue there. And Nebuchadnezzar on that statue was the head of gold. Um, And each time the metals changed on that statue in chapter 2, a kingdom ended. But now Nebuchadnezzar's image here in chapter 3, the metals do not change. The whole image is gold top to bottom could he be hoping even bragging that his kingdom will have no end and then as I read it you heard it those odd repetitions of the lists of the leaders that are present right Um, satraps prefects governors counselors treasurers justices magistrates all the officials and then you heard the same kind of odd listing of all the peoples that were represented only shorter peoples nations languages and then the instruments horn horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe every kind of music these odd sounding lists seem to emphasize the allness of the king's decree right it included all the leaders it included all the instruments it included all the peoples and the language that's used when he talks about all the peoples is kind of eerie when you think about how this phrase is going to be used later in the book of Daniel chapter 7 where it says to him that is the son of man the Messiah was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him So the same language Nebuchadnezzar uses of those bowing before his image is used there of the Son of Man, the Messiah. These lists reveal the allness of Nebuchadnezzar's overreach, right? All were to gather, all were to worship in every way imaginable, all were to bow down to the image, it says over and over again, that he set up. And the bowing down that he required is interesting it wouldn't necessarily have meant you had to deny your God, right? They were polytheists, after all. You could, they worshiped many gods, so it just meant your God had to be second. Professor Ian Duguid says that this kind of decree didn't require people to change their religion or beliefs necessarily. They just had to subordinate them to their allegiance to the empire. People can serve whatever God they choose, so long as it's clear that he takes second place to the state, he says. And then he says, we too find ourselves constantly pressed to keep our beliefs private and therefore secondary. We are told that the public sphere must be kept untainted from any religion for any other opinion threatens the unifying dogma of the separation of church and state. We can believe whatever we want by all means. However, we're strongly discouraged from talking about it or trying to influence the beliefs of others in the public square. We live in a world where it's fine to worship God as long as you keep it to yourself. Sociologist George Yancey did this survey. It was over 4,000 people, and he found that Americans with hostile views of conservative Christianity are quite satisfied with Christians as long as they keep their faith to themselves. One respondent put it this way, Christian right people can do what they want in their churches and homes, but not in the public arena. So it's up against this kind of pressure on steroids, we could say, that we find Daniel's three friends one more time. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the praise band uh, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So their motives are right out there in plain sight, right? These Chaldeans may well be men who were chafing under Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's authority. Remember, chapter 2 ended this way. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So they could be jealous, or it simply could be racism, because it says that certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. But whatever the fuel for their malice, they pressed the king to get what they want. It's as though they're saying to the king, These men shame you, O king, and your gods, and your brand new shiny statue. So they're manipulating the king by appealing to his pride, and it works. Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? So there's serious pressure being brought on these three men. And I'm, this next section, I'm really indebted to Professor Dale Davis. He says things so well, better than I can, so I'm going to quote him a good bit here. I hope it's an encouragement to you as it was to me. He says that Nebuchadnezzar's image was meant to dominate. Any humongous monstrosity 90 feet high by 9 feet wide would do so. And then he goes on and outlines the different pressures that are brought on these three guys to capitulate and worship the image. They face pressure from authority. I mean, they are called before the king himself to face this command. They face pressure from conformity, right? The detailed lists make it clear all are to bow, no exceptions. Talk about peer pressure. Professor Davis again writes, the praise band plays and the crowd gets its backsides in the air and its noses in the sand and enjoys job security. They felt they had no choice. They had to do it. There's a tremendous invisible coercion that comes from being among a whole mob of flattened worshipers. They faced increasing pressure from malice, right? As verse 12 plainly put it, this is happening to them because they were hated. And they face pressure from extreme intimidation 
and threat. Again, uh, Dale Davis helps. He says, there's something withering about the towering rage of a monarch anyway, but all the more so when he says there should be three words that should move you, burning, fiery, furnace. The prospect of roasting tends to motivate. So if there's any questions about the egotistical heart behind Nebuchadnezzar's rage, it evaporates in verse 15. Look at what he says. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's claiming to be unstoppable, unthwartable, even by the gods. No wonder some scholars wonder if this 90-foot statue didn't look a lot like him. So now he's thrown down the gauntlet, and another contest begins between Nebuchadnezzar and the gods of Babylon and Yahweh, the God of these captives from Israel. These three men are going to show remarkable faith in God's ability to deliver and a great confidence that he will deliver them. Look at verse 17. Verse 16, actually. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. Okay. But verse 18 goes on and it says that their faith and their resolve to obey their God is not conditioned on his deliverance. Look at verse 18. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, for them, this is a first commandment matter. You remember the first commandment right out of the blocks of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. That is, besides me. They and we are fierce monotheists, right? We only worship one God. No others. On this, there is to be no compromise. So just after I came, became a Christian, uh, back in the dark ages of vinyl, um, this album came out. It's by a guy named Keith Green. Some of you have heard of him. And the album was called No Compromise. And I still remember the album cover, right, from, what, from way back then, of this one guy, one man, standing when all others bowed, just like these three men in our story story stood as one and refused to bow. No compromise. For them, obedience was not conditioned on prior deliverance. Dale Davis nails the essence of faith here. He says, these men give us a full balanced picture of faith. Faith knows the power of God. He's able Verse 17, it guards the freedom of God, but if not, in verse 18, and it holds the truth of God, we will not serve your gods, in verse 18. See, he says, faith's finest hour may be when it can oppose Nebuchadnezzar's three words, the burning fiery furnace, with three of its own, but if not. He continues, he says, God's tendency is to provide for and cushion us with his grace, And yet it is the case that he does not always grant us a job that is satisfying, nor the spouse that we've long prayed for, nor the children we so ardently desire. And then he quotes a guy named Jeff Thomas that says, Indeed, every Christian 
has to face up to the alternative possibility that even if he does not deliver us, we will still do his will. Serving Christ for loss, serving Christ for loneliness, serving Christ for death. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to marry. We don't have to become parents. We don't even have to live, but we must obey. Obedience. We sang about it earlier. Jesus said it's how we love and worship our God. There is no other path for the disciples of our great God. It's been said that there's a sense in which the real miracle in this story has already happened. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. This is the second time the king has displayed anger to the point of putting people to death. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So this, there's a fourth man. Who is he? To Nebuchadnezzar's pagan eyes, he says he looks like a son of the gods. Later, he's going to call him an angel. Either way, clearly, someone has been sent by God to deliver these men in their greatest distress. God is with them in that sense, in that furnace. Tremper Longman writes, what we have here is a reflection of Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelt with the three friends in the midst of the flames to preserve them from harm. In this sense, the Christian cannot help but see a prefigurement of Jesus Christ who came to earth to dwell in a chaotic world and even experience death, not so that we might escape the experience of death, but that we might have victory over it. So this is how our God loves us. This is how our God rescues us. You know, he didn't simply snuff out the fire. He didn't like keep blowing out the matches when they're trying to light it. He simply entered into the fire with them in order to deliver them. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. So again, this listing of all these officials who are gathered around them 
highlights the allness of the inspection, right? It's verified. All of them saw it. Really, all of them smelled it because they use the sniffer test on these guys, right? Now, if you've ever had the wind shift on you around a campfire, you know what your clothes smell like. If you've ever had your hair singed by fire, you know what that smells like. Um, the detailed mention of the lack of even the scent of smoke underscores the miraculous nature of the deliverance of these three by this fourth man. Notice, too, the title Nebuchadnezzar now gives to their God, right? It says, he's the most high God. He now knows there is a God who is able to deliver them out of his hand. And so verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So this decree the king makes is a stark contrast to the one he made at the beginning of our chapter, right? Verse 4, that all peoples and nations and languages should bow before his statue that he erected. Now he decrees no one should speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And this is also on penalty of death. And the men he tried to destroy, now he promotes. Okay. But I, I want to make sure that you know as you read the entirety of Scripture, this is not always how the story ends, right? Everybody gets a promotion because they honor Jesus, right? Dale Davis writes that the miracle in Daniel 3 is a token, not a blueprint. That is, it's a sample of the way Christ preserves his people, but not a guarantee of his dramatic deliverance in every case. So think, think with me again about Pastor Paul Schneider uh, that I talked to you early on. Notice the sweater vest? Just saying. Just, just saying. Um, so there's, a, there's an anecdote of him. While he was in Buchenwald, uh, there were tens of thousands of prisoners there, and they were all required to remove their beret and kneel down for the saying of the Nazi, kind of the Nazi anthem, and uh, there was one prisoner who refused. It was, it was Paul. And he was beaten within an inch of his life for that. Um, he was put in solitary confinement. And every morning from solitary confinement across the square, the tens of thousands who had lined up for roll call heard this. And one of the other prisoners preserved his words. He would shout this out of his solitary confinement. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. If we have faith in him, we are put right with God. We need not fear what man may do to us because we, through Christ, belong to the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, has promised that we, by faith in him, may participate in his resurrection. 
He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall never die. Accept the Lord Jesus as your savior and God will receive you as his child. The guy who swept or mopped the floors in solitary confinement begged Schneider, please stop provoking the SS against you. They will beat you to death if you continue to preaching from your cell window. And on July 18th in 1939, Paul Schneider was murdered by lethal injection in the camp infirmary. He was not delivered in the sense that we would hope, in the sense that we see in Daniel 3. But Dale Davis says, still Christ's flock are strangely comforted here. Christ did not keep them out of the furnace, but found them in it. He does not always shield you from all distresses and dangers, but it is in the loneliness, in the betrayal, in the loss, that the fourth man comes and walks with you. He has the knack of both exposing you to, yet keeping you through waters and rivers and fire, as Isaiah 43 puts it, and operating rooms and funeral parlors and an empty house. The fourth man can always find his people. And so now we come together as his people to his table. And Ian Dugan invites us with these words, Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one who condemns to the fire those who will not bow the knee to him. Our God rightfully demands the wholehearted homage of those whom he has created. Yet in the case of his people, God took all of our fiery judgment curse and laid it on his own son. He personally paid the price of my hell during those six hours on the cross so that I might pass through the threatening fire unburned and emerge safely out on the other side. What is more, his perfect faithfulness is now credited to my account as if it were my own. A faithfulness that far exceeds that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is now mine as a free gift. I am welcomed into God's presence for Christ's sake.